everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm the hands behind Lovecraft Crochet, my plush user for the anxious, depressed, autistic, and neurodivergent. Small enough to travel in a purse, backpack, diaper bag, or even your pocket. You can check out my Facebook page or TikTok to see what patterns are available, and stay tuned for the new ones coming out. I also make hats, scarves, blankets, and dice bags for the tabletop gamer or dice goblin in your life. Feel free to order through the page, TikTok, or via email at love.craft.crochet.com. Now, back to the segment. Due to the graphic and disturbing nature of the crimes discussed, listener discretion is advised. Retrostatic Radio presents Killing 15 Minutes. Hello and welcome to Killing 15 Minutes, where you get your true crime fix in 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. I'm your writer, Sam Rossi, and shortly I'll be handing over a rough draft of a script to my brother, AJ, who hasn't read it, who most likely has no idea what we're talking about. This should be fun. Good luck, bro. Thank you, sissy. Seisaku Nakamura was a Japanese teenage serial killer. He was known as the Hamamatsu Deaf Killer. The Deaf Killer? Yeah. Okay. Born deaf in 1924. Ah, that would always. Every sentence right after I question something. Yeah, I know. Born deaf in 1924 in Shizuko, Japan. He was intelligent, achieving high marks at school. Treated poorly by his family and was a social misfit. He enjoyed films where men used Japanese swords to assassinate people. So, does that mean he liked Yakuza films where it was, you know, contemporary sorts of things, but it was the twenty. It was the 40s. Oh, the 40s? 30s. Well, he was born in the 20s, so, yeah. you know, 30s and 40s, but does that mean that he liked, you know, Date stuff? Did, did he I, like I period pieces? No. You wrote this sentence. I don't know. Where I don't understand. Like, like, I don't I, I understand the words coming out of your mouth, but they do not make sense to me. Okay. Let's, let's switch it from Japan to the, to, to an American thing. To phrase this in a Western way, he enjoyed films where men used long swords to kill people. Does that mean that he liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer because they use swords, even if it is a contemporary thing? Or was it he liked period pieces like Excalibur? I'm going to go with period pieces. Because... As anyone who's ever watched Roroni Kenshin knows, after the Meiji Restoration, or because of the Meiji Restoration period, you couldn't openly carry swords. Because they were still trying to take out the samurai and ronin thing. So in 1930s, it would either have to be a period piece or it would have to be a Yakuza flick. I also love the fact that I can pronounce these words a lot better than I can Russian. For anyone who's listening to the overkilling on Andre Chikatilo right now, you know what the fuck I mean. I'm focusing way too much on this sentence, aren't I? I think so, yes. Okay. According to his testimony on August 22nd, 1938, he attempted to rape two women. They resisted him, so he then killed them. He was 14 years old. On August 18th, 1941, at 17, Nakamura killed a third woman and injured a fourth. On August 20th, 1941, three more people were found dead, all having been killed by him. On September 27th, 1941, he killed his brother and injured his father, sister, sister-in-law, and his niece. On August 30th, 1942, Nakamura killed a couple, their son and daughter, 
and attempted to rape another daughter. Information about his crimes were restricted because many thought news about his crime would cause excessive trouble during the already tense wartime. Nakamura went unapprehended for longer than he might be otherwise. His family had known that he was responsible for the murders, but were afraid of revenge and did not come forward. On October 12, 1942, Nakamura was arrested for nine total murders. He confessed to the first two murders, and on November 11, 1942, his father committed suicide. Nakamura was tried as an adult under the wartime law. Doctors claimed he was not guilty by reason of insanity. The trial proceeded, and he was executed shortly thereafter. The book Youth Crime in Pre-War Japan discussed this incident. In The book was published in October of 2007. Page and a half. Page and a half. Okay. They didn't, get, they didn't give me much, but it was interesting, and I figured you could actually pronounce some of it. I could. However, that now means we have ten minutes to fill. Well, we can have a short episode. We can, but there's actually something I do like discussing, especially in the 40s period, because it was something similar we saw globally. While, obviously, Japan lost the war. Yep. Um, however, in the... F- you know, in the early 40s, that's not exactly a thing. No. There is, it's not... There are still tons of... Because a lot of the people, when they think about World War II, they always focus on the Nazis because that's the feel-good story of the year. Yeah, they don't the think about... The globe coming together to be like, fuck Nazis. Right. Which is a controversial take nowadays. I know, really. In the 40s, it was a weird shift... Not necessarily too more of a conservative outreach, but you saw society focusing on juvenile delinquency. Okay. And a shift from the old generation and the new generation having two different worlds to grow up in, therefore two different lifestyles to think of. It's very similar to modern era, except generally the juvenile delinquency now is based off of a we don't want to be as shit as our parents. Yeah. I mean, granted, that that's its own can of worms to open, but we saw it in post-war America. Yes. Especially when it came to, you know, comic books are causing juvenile delinquency. I know I, I like trying to drag everything into my personal wheelhouse, but things like this or things like you know it it turns into it's very easy to see someone growing up in a wartime area especially in Japan because while a lot of people again focus on the Nazis America and this is going to be a hot take and phrased poorly the Nazis didn't care about or the Americans didn't care about Nazis that much. By that I mean, while yes, they, you know, eventually, once we enter the war and everything, universally the U.S. went, fuck that Nazis! Yeah, but we fought a war on two different fronts. Yes and no. We only fought a war on one front. We fought Japan. Yes. Okay? While we did give aid to allies overseas, you know. Yeah, and we gave them troops, too. We gave them a little troops. 
It wasn't until we entered the war that we turned around and went. Uh, okay. Okay. When we entered the war, I was going with. Oh, I, I'm going with the war that America fought wasn't against the Nazis. It was against Japan. While yes, America did go and assist England and them against Nazis and Italians later. Everyone always kind of skips over the Italians. I'm That's sorry. because they gave up and uh, overthrew their dictator and then became part of the Allied. Sort of. But that... That's a different history take, so... Well, it is. So anyways. But anyways. And what a lot of people, like... They're, I think a lot of people, when they think about a Japanese war front, they still think of it in a European theater mindset. With the trench, uh, I mean, granted, the trench warfare and everything like that. I know trench warfare was more World War One, but they think of things like Stalingrad. They think of war-torn cities in the European theater, where Japan took over islands and took we're, over parts of mainland China. Uh, we're not talking about the Sino-Japanese War here, sister. <laughs> but the rape of Nanking is also a very big thing that a lot more people should talk about. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is we bombed the fuck out of Japan. You know how, like, and this is where, here's a hot take. We bombed Japan, we we fucked Japan in a similar way that the Blitzkrieg from Nazi Germany fucked England. Because we couldn't really send troops, and anyone who's looked into history, yes, we would never have sent troops because that would have been a fool's errand of just wave after wave of our own men to go die. And that was... and the, But that's, that's its own hot take about why the nukes kind of needed to happen. And then a lot of people say, well, no, they didn't. Well, yes, they did. Anyways. Anyways. So, especially youths around that time, you know, they were getting shortages of everything. They had... You know, they were being bombed out. They were being firebombed. They were, you know what I mean? There was so much stuff that you can't look at this case and be like, oh, it's just a serial killer mines. You know, it's that, it's that unsub train track. Right. That we bring up on several, I bring up and you look at me like that. Stop looking at me like that. Sorry, I won't look at you anymore. I will Andre Chikatilo your eye holes. <laughs> but... <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yes, he liked... I'm assuming it was... I'm assuming since it was in the 30s and 40s and their film departments weren't exactly the best things, propaganda films were still around at the time and everything like that, which is a really neat thing to look at if you know the history of the Godzilla films. It's really cool. Japanese cinema is fucking wild. This is true. But I'm assuming he... Did he use a sword to kill these people? I did not get that information. And there's very little about him when I went Googling. Well, I would assume so because he's like, they were like, they made a point to say he liked, he liked wushu films. Yeah. He liked, he liked samurai films and the period pieces of old. But, you know, was he sick? Like, like, obviously he was, obviously he had a mental illness of some kind or his mental health health was not good. If you kill more than one person, generally your mental health is not good. One can be a lapse in judgment. Two, you know, I don't know. 
this you, you gave me a page and a half here. I, I, I thought he was interesting with what I had. Well, um, he is interesting, and it could actually lead into a very rich discussion of how much U.S. His, or how much global history, not U.S., not just U.S. There, there's more to the world than the United States, but how much history, especially wartime history has led to mental health issues or led to, I mean, look at us for, you know, since 2001. Yeah. So much of millennials, you know, even early millennials who may have been in their, you know, preteens when the World Trade Centers were attacked. Because I believe uh, millennials is 85. I believe it's 85 to... Ninety-five. So no. Well, I've it's heard 80, eighty-five to eight, two thousand and five, which I don't like. No, because that, that there's an entire generation gap there. Well, there is. Where we're, but anyways. But anyways, you know where that's that's totally a reason that a lot of millennials do care more about. You know they they have their set ideologies. Yep. And some people, you know, a lot of psychologists have said, especially from the 2001 to 2005, you know. Time period. That time period where we were fully, you know. Invested. Versus, you know, 15 years later, because it was a 20-year fucking uh, war. Yep. That it painted a lot of different things. You know, a lot of people like, wow, everything was, it's why... Some people have this ideology, have have a notion that there is such a divide. Right. Because, you know, especially for wartime things, you will always have the liberal side or, you know, the progressive or the, you know what I mean? That side versus a more conservative view of, of that because now it is a spearheaded psychological idea, psychological thing. Right. Now your parents who without the war, may never have brought up their views on Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or anything like that. Now we're talking about how bad it is, you know, in a positive or negative light. Correct. Yeah, I know this one is kind of all over the place, but there's a when it comes to limited information, you have to exposit, and this is for anyone into research, I, I love my research. My sister is good at research with an asterisk because I go, I go balls to the wall research. Yeah. But when there is limited information, it is only possible to, it is more easy to come up with your own headspace about limited research. It's why yeah. when we did the thuggy one and all you gave me was, well, this one dude from the East India company. Yes, you're right. Yes, you know, you're right. I should never gave you thuggy. No, no, that's not it. It's one of those, okay, now we have this bit of, you know, we have this information. What can I extrapolate from it? Right. The less information you have, the more broad the extrapolation kind of has to be if you have to extrapolate. Makes sense. How about we close out? Okay, we're going to close out by saying that was a page and a half. <laughs> Um, I actually thought it was it was interesting. Yeah. Um, and go check out Overkilling. Please check out Debunking when we have that up. More information on that on our social medias. 
and please consider being a patron over on patreon.com slash killing 15 minutes. I believe so. Because then you get to choose who we get to extrapolate information on. And please make sure they have some meat to them so we don't ramble. And by we, I mean me. I'm Sam Rossi. And I'm AJ Carey. Later, y'all. Killing 15 Minutes is hosted by Arthur Carey, with scripts written and researched by Sam Rossi. If you like this episode or want to stay updated on this series, consider following Killing 15 Minutes on Patreon or Retrostatic Radio on all major social media platforms. Good night and God bless. You're watching Retrostatic Radio.